If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Shabbos, Arab Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you again. And again, to spend some time to talk to you, to share ideas, to take a look at the Parsha, to take a look at the time of the year that we're in, to try and understand what in fact is happening, to try and understand the particular energies of the time, and to try and focus those energies into our own lives, to try and understand what is it about this time that makes our lives so incredibly special, to make our lives so incredibly powerful, to take the soul that we have, the bodies that we have, to take our minds and hearts and give them direction and purpose, because now, this time of the year, is extraordinary in the sense that we are approaching well, the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the days that we stand before the King of Kings, God Almighty Himself. And we're going to be asking for a Shana Tova Umetuka, a good and sweet year. And each and every one of us will, please God, be granted a good and sweet year. But at the same time, it takes a degree of preparation. Not only that we have to prepare ourselves in terms of making sure that we stand before God Almighty, King of Kings, in the most appropriate and proper manner. But equally important, and perhaps even more important, is to know what to ask for. And I say this almost every single year as we approach God Almighty, the King of Kings. What is it that we should be asking for? And it's important that we understand, as we know, as mature people, if we were to ask God for the gift of a child, what a child might ask for as an adult, that would be, well, a waste of time. That would be totally immature. We have to know what to ask for. And the only way we can know what to ask for is if we know ourselves. And knowing oneself is, on the one hand, extremely easy, because, after all, who knows oneself better than oneself? But at the same time, our sages tell us that Ahava Tachasa al Self-love can cover over every type of shortcoming. We can justify every type of, well, bad behavior, because this is what a person does. We say that Adam Karova Atzma, a person is very close to himself, and because one is close to oneself, one tends to, well, justify one's behavior. So therefore, even though one knows oneself better than anyone else, at the same time, it is so easy to fool oneself into some sort of misunderstanding of oneself. Therefore, it takes a degree, and perhaps a large degree, of preparation to know oneself in order to know what to ask for. And this is why during the month of Elul, it's the time of preparation. Time of preparation, not only is it a time of teshuvah, not only is it a time of repentance, but a time that we have to investigate and weigh up, what am I asking for? I'm going to have the opportunity of standing before God Almighty himself, day of judgment. I'm going to stand before God, and he is going to give me the opportunity 
of presenting my requests. What am I going to ask for? And this is something which is so incredibly important because that moment is a moment of tremendous opportunity. Standing before God, God is going to listen to us and God will grant us a good year. What will I ask for? And this is why the month of Elul is a time of tremendous importance. It's a time that we have to consider all the factors that make life so important. What is it that I need? What is it that I'm missing? What is it that makes my life yet incomplete? What is it that I should ask in God for? And this is why we have to investigate what the month of Elul is really all about. And as I mentioned a number of times, we have to look into the mystical writings. We have to take a look at what the Kabbalists tell us, what the Hasidic masters tell us, in order for us to fully appreciate the depth, the power of what the month of Elul is really all about. And as I said over the various years that we talk about the months, each month has a particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet that is connected with that month. And the month of Elul, what letter is connected with that month? The letter Yud, that little tiny letter. And as I explained a few weeks ago, the letter Yud is so incredibly significant because on the one hand, it's almost insignificant. It's a tiny letter. It doesn't have the shape. It doesn't have the presence. It doesn't have the design of the larger letters. But at the same time, it is the beginning of every single letter. Contained within this tiny, insignificant little letter is every single construction, every single letter. And the letter of Yud is the letter that is connected with Elul. And therefore, Elul has that power. There is something within the month of Elul that is so powerful, that is so great. It might appear as something which is insignificant, but at the same time, it contains everything. And our mystical teachers tell us that what is that within the human construction? That is the power of thought, of intellect. When we think about something, thought itself is compared to the Yud. We think about something, it takes a moment to think about something. But when we want to articulate, when we want to give it structure, when we want to verbalize that which we think, it takes so much more time, it takes so much more letters, it takes so much more words. And they explain it as follows. When you take the letter Yud and you spell it out, it composed of the letters Yud, Vav, Dalet. That's what spells the word Yud, the letter Yud. The Yud, well, that's the first stage. That is Chachma. That is the idea of thought. The Vav, the Vav is a long letter. That represents articulation, revelation, expression. The Dalit, that represents application. That represents taking the idea, articulating it, and then putting it into practice. But they tell us as well, why the Dalit? The Dalit is a letter that represents not only application, but it also can mean poverty, that which is impoverished. And in the fuller sense of the word, 
humility. We think of something, we talk about it, and then we want to put it into practice. We want to apply it to daily life. When we wish to apply something, it has to come with great humility. We thought about it, and after we thought about it, we consider it as something which is worthwhile. We speak about it, and as we speak about it, we give it body, we give it structure, we develop it, and then we say, yes, this is something which is appropriate, it's worthwhile. But before we actually put it into practice, before we actually give it complete and total application, there has to be tremendous, tremendous humility. Because very often our own ego, our own self-love, might distort the way we look at something and give it value when it doesn't have all that value. This is why the letter Yud, when it is fully spelled out, gives us an understanding of how something should be seen in the fullest sense of the word. The letter Yud connected with the month of Elul. But just as Elul is a time that we have to look at the essence of who and what we are, it has to come with articulation, but it also has to come with great humility. It's the Yud, it's the thought, it's the Vav, it's the word, the articulation. It's the dollar, it's the application, but the application has to come with great humility. More of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about the Yud, that wonderful, tiny, almost insignificant letter that when fully spelled out contains the letters Yud, Vav, Dalid. The Yud is the kernel, the seed, the first concept that is deep within one's mind. The Vav is the expansion in terms of articulation, the letters, the words. The idea is now developing and the Dalit is the application, but it's a Dalit which represents humility. And this flows so incredibly well. It's synthesized into the Parsha of the week, which is Kitetse. And Kitetse is a Parsha that contains a great many different interesting laws, and the juxtaposition of each law is quite fascinating as well. But let's concentrate at the beginning of the Parsha. The beginning of the Parsha speaks about Kitetse, Lamilchama Alovecha, when you will go out into battle over and above your enemy. And while, of course, we're talking about a physical war, nonetheless, again, we turn to our mystical teachers, our uh, Hasidic masters, to understand the inner spiritual dimension of what the Torah is talking about. And the Torah is talking about when you leave the comfortable confines of a protected spiritual inner world, and you have to encounter the outside world, and you see the outside world as an enemy, an enemy that very often presents itself in a destructive sort of way. 
It is seductive. It is something which tries to bring you down into a level of compromise, a level of behavior that is not befitting an individual who should be fully connected to God and to the values of Torah, to the values of mitzvot. It takes you into a world which is contrary to that which Torah stands for. Kitait say, you'll go into the world, and while you've come from a different type of background, you've come from a different type of value system, you are now going into a world. And the world, of course, in Hebrew is olam, which means helam, which means distortion, that which hides spirituality, that which hides the presence of God. You come into a world of confusion, uncertainty, and things present themselves, and you can easily be taken in by ideas, attitudes, presentations that might appear to be attractive, but perhaps aren't. And you are taken in by one of these attractive ideas, and you suddenly realize that it's not as attractive as you thought it might be. Instead of being something that should elevate you to a higher level, it is something which might bring you down. So Torah tells us how to handle all of these things, that you have to test it in a particular way. You can't simply indulge. You can't simply give in to that attraction. You have to test it for what it truly is. Is it something which is base? Is it something which appeals to the lower dimensions of your life? Is it something that is there without any spiritual content? It is something there that is, well, it's not of greater value. Or is it something that with effort, with application, can be transformed into something higher. And it's a process, and it's something which takes effort, it's something which takes time, and this is the great battle of encountering the world. The world is not necessarily an easy place. As I mentioned before, the world, Olam, is a place of distortion, a place of confusion. And regardless of how strong your value system might be, it will be tested. And it will be tested by Ovecha enemies. And enemies come in all sorts of different guises. It's difficult to recognize them as an enemy. They often come across as, well, a friend or someone who has something of great value to offer. This is something which is important for us to understand. Following that, there is a different interesting law. The man who has two wives, one he hates and one he loves. It follows on that the individual who is confronted with a compromise situation in life begins to develop a love-hate relationship with life. The confusion is there. There's no clarity. Hate and love which is, in a sense, a dangerous place to be in. When there is no clarity, and we're not only talking about relationship, we're not only talking about a marriage, but again, as our mystical teachers tell us, this extends into every single area of life. There is tremendous frustration. There is tremendous confusion. There is tremendous uncertainty in every single step that one takes. There is this ongoing love, 
hate relationship. Is the world a good place? Is the world a bad place? Is the world a place of growth and development? Is the world a place that will bring me down? Is the world a place that I can actually fulfill the will of God? Or is the world a place which is contrary to the will of God? I have kitetse, I've gone out into the world, but can I cope in this world? Must I, well, escape? Must I run back into a protected environment? Or must I continue doing the best I can in this world where I have a love-hate relationship. I'm drawn to this and I'm drawn to that. I feel pulled to a situation that I know to be not in the best interests of my life, of my devotion to God. And at the same time, I feel a tremendous spiritual intensity in terms of things that do draw me closer to God. This dual sensitivity that I have is this a normal state of being. And Torah tells us how to deal within that situation as well. And that, in a sense, is a fairly normal situation. Because living in a physical world and trying to apply spiritual values in a physical world is a battle. It's a challenge. And it doesn't necessarily come easy. And it's not something that we run away from but it's something that we have to be aware of. It's something that we have to confront with knowledge. It's something that we have to confront with a sense of understanding. We can't simply be thrown into a situation of total confusion because that would make us, in a sense, become confused to the point of non-action as well. This is what the Parsha of Kiseitse is telling us at the outset. When you go into the world, understand the difference between that which is valuable and that which is simply a temptation that addresses itself to the lower elements of your life. Yes, there might be value there, but be very careful to make sure that you're not simply responding to something which ultimately might bring you down. And therefore, if you develop this love-hate relationship with the world that you're in, understand that you have to deal with it in a very powerful, in a very profound sort of way. It's not either this or that. You're going to have to make choices, but at the same time, you're going to have to understand that both these elements are powerful and magnetic and you're going to have to understand when to stand and when to give in, when to be powerful, and when to be compromising. And not to make the mistake of compromising at the wrong times, and not to make the mistake of being firm at the wrong times. These are the great choices that we have to make. This is the world that we live in. And what's the third section? That's the Ben Sereru Mare, the rebellious son. The rebellious son who is, well, so rebellious that he has no place in society. And why is he rebellious? Again, our mystical teachers tell us. Because he's grown up in a world where those who preceded him didn't give him an anchor, didn't give him an understanding of life, of what's important and what's not important, about what's real and what's temporary about what's purposeful and what's destructive. And therefore, there's tremendous frustration in his life. He got conflicting signals 
all his life. And therefore, his behavior is absolutely confusing. His behavior is all over the place. It began a long time ago. It began with the first individual who went into the world and didn't respond correctly to the so-called temptations of the world. It continued with this love-hate relationship when there was no clarity in terms of how to choose and how to understand what's right and what's wrong. And it manifests in the third generation with this, well, metaphorically speaking, young child or young man, woman, who is totally confused. And the behavior is so erratic. The behavior is so destructive. The behavior is so bizarre. But it's not their fault. It's not their fault because they had no anchor. They had no foundation. They had no presence in life to understand how to make choices and how to understand what the physical world is really all about. And therefore, their lives are all over the place. This is how the Parsha begins. And we come back to the month of Elul. How do we come back to the month of Elul? Because there was an idea which sounded good. And even when articulated, when it was put into words, when it was spoken, it sounded good as well. But in its application, there was no humility. It was full of ego. And because of that, we continue, as we see in the beginning of the Parsha, distortion, confusion, temptation, love-hate, and then you have a life of absolute chaos. And one stands at the side and asks, how can such a human being behave in such a way? Where does it come from? And the last thing we should do is be judgmental. Can't be judgmental. Because that child, well, that child didn't have a chance. Didn't have a chance because there was no foundation. Wasn't raised properly. Conflicting messages. Confusing messages. Do what you like. Do what you want. As long as it makes you feel good. Don't bother me. Etc., etc., etc. When one begins to analyze the attitude and behavior of generation after generation, it doesn't take a genius to work it out. No, it doesn't. All one has to do is take a look at a parsha like Yitaitse, and it's clear as day how the patterns develop, how the attitudes develop, or perhaps the lack of attitudes. It's not even an attitude. It's simply, well, a form of, of action and behavior that is completely chaotic without any anchor. And this is what the month of Elul is all about. The month of Elul is trying, pulling it back together. Trying to pull it back together to say, well, perhaps we must reconsider the direction and where we're going and what we have to do. More of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. So again, we're talking about looking at generations, and sometimes we are bewildered 
unbelievably bewildered at how people behave, young, old. And we say to ourselves, how did this happen? Where does it come from? How is it that people behave in such bizarre ways? Others would say, well, because you're old-fashioned. You don't understand the ways of the new generation. But that's not an answer. Because after all, there are certain values that are eternal. And it's not a new generation. It is somewhere along the line people have taken a wrong turn. People have moved away from the trodden path of decency, of goodness, of proper behavior, of godly values, of Torah values, of the values of mitzvot, God's commandments. And because of that, sometimes a generation, sometimes two, sometimes a bit longer, sometimes a bit shorter. And you end up with a generation that is frustrated and confused and behaves in a bizarre sort of manner. What do we do? And this is why we take a look at the end of the Parsha of Kitetse. And that ends with two interesting bits of information. And when we look at it, it makes no sense why they come together at the end of the Parsha. One is the prohibition of having false weights and measures. It says if you have a scale, make sure that the weights and measures that you use are honest. Don't use false weights and measures. If you have a weight that is only X amount, and it shows that it's more than that, that's dishonest. And therefore, when it comes to weights and measures in every single area of exchange, of commerce, be honest. And right after that, we have the story of Zachor. Remember what Amalek, that arch enemy of the Israelites, of the Jewish people, remember what he did when you left Egypt along the way. You were tired. You were exhausted. And he attacked you. And yet, you stood up to him and you were victorious. Now, both of these items are very important. Honesty, commerce, weights and measures, morality, and of course remembering our arch enemy who attacks us in all sorts of different disguises. Both are important. But the juxtaposition coming together, what's that really all about? They are two separate entities, two separate concepts. Why bring them together? Particularly at the end of this Parsha Kitetse. And perhaps the answer is as follows. When you want to combat the third generation who behaves bizarrely, and it's the child, and the child is a metaphor for an entire generation, who behaves so bizarrely they have no place in society anymore. The parents are confused. Society is confused. You look at these children and you wonder, what is it? And how do we turn it around, how do we hope to change that bizarre behavior? Well, you go through the whole Parsha, you come to the end of the Parsha, and there's two things you have to know. Number one, honesty and weights and measures, which again, by extension, is a metaphor for honesty. The only way one can turn things around, the only message you're able to give is a message that is honest, that is real, that is honest. 
It can't be another lie. It can't be another idea that makes no sense whatsoever. It can't be another, well, maybe this, maybe that. It has to be one that is deeply rooted in the eternal, eternal values of Torah. It has to be one that has been part and parcel of our people since day one. It needs honesty. Just like weights and measures have to be honest, the message we have to give the generation of today has to be deeply rooted in the honesty of our history. And the second thing is the story of Amalek. Because when a person is on the change route, leaving Egypt, leaving the negativity, and wants to turn their lives around, what happens? More than often, their own friends say, What? Why do you want to do that? I mean, how often have people heard, Well, you're becoming a frimmy, getting religion in your life? And that is enough to cool one off. And this is where you need a tremendous, tremendous strength and courage to withstand that type of subtle Amalek attack and to stand strong and say, yes, this is what I want. This is where I come from. This is where I belong. Because it's your own friends that might weaken you, that might make you feel cold to the ways of God, to the ways of Torah and mitzvahs. Be careful of who your real enemies are. As we said in the beginning of the parsha, when you go out to the world against your enemies, your enemies sometimes might be your best friends. It's those who bring you down. This is how the parsha ends. So when you're in shul tomorrow, be in shul tomorrow. Listen to this parsha. There are laws, insights. This parsha is full of the most amazing, amazing concepts. And listen carefully to each one. And what do I always say? Listen to the one that talks to you. I assure you, there's something in this Pasha that speaks to you. And when you hear it, listen carefully. Because it's going to say something that is going to be extremely meaningful and important in your life. It might even be life-changing. And let it because it'll bring you higher in the month of Elul. And it might even teach you what to ask for when you stand before God Almighty, the King of Kings, on the Day of Judgment. Good Shabbos.